So my question for us today is, do you believe that you can do all the things that Jesus did? Heal the sick, raise the dead, those who are blind can regain sight, cast out demons. So there is a little bit of a thought out there. There's some who will believe that, uh, that what took place in the early church from Jesus' ministry to the apostles, that's all you got. It, everything stopped. The supernatural work of the Holy Spirit stopped at that time. That's called sensationism. And I don't know where you stand on that, but I would say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same Holy Spirit that's in us didn't decide to, like he would go on vacation and leave the world, you know, without his spirit and his power. So to me, I would say, oh, well, let's, let's go to the word. We, we don't want to just take my word for it, right? What, is, what does Jesus say in the book of uh, Mark? We're going to get to Luke here in a second, but I, I'm going to make a case before we get into Jesus's um, what he did in in Luke chapter 7. But this is what it says, Jesus' words. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe? All right, these are the signs that should accompany you. (laughs) Here we go. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. Just don't do that just for fun, though. I mean, like, if the Spirit of God is, like, needing to protect you, we are not snake charmers around here. Okay. Uh, they will pick up serpents with their, uh, with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. Kids, do not try this at home. This is not a test, like, how well you have the Holy Spirit in you. Do not do that. <laughs> um, And it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. There is a reason why we have a class called Doing What Jesus Did that teaches you all of those things. But I think it's important to realize as we start to look at Jesus's life um, and through through Luke chapter 7 and what Jesus does, picture yourself doing those things. Picture yourself doing those things. So there's a couple accounts that go on here in, in Luke chapter 7 that I think it's important that we go through. And if anybody wants to grab me a cup of water, sorry, I should have grabbed that on my way up here. Thank you, um, Rich. Um, so here we start on uh, Luke chapter 7. It's, a, it's an account of Jesus heals a centurion's servant. So first of all, centurion is a uh, military guy, high-ranking, and... He sends some religious guys, thank you so much. I'm usually prepared, not so much today, thank you. Um, send some religious guys to see Jesus and say, hey, hey my servant um, is sick, near death. I, I think, I believe Jesus, you can heal him. And the religious guys go and find Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, this guy's a good guy. He actually built our synagogue for us. A synagogue's like our church. Um, and he's really important. I think you should, um, should heal him. And this is what he says. After Jesus starts to go to the centurion's home. Jesus is on his way, and the centurion kind of sends a, another um, servant, if you will, 
and tells them, Jesus, please don't come into my house. And this is what it says in verse, um, in verse, chapter, sorry, verse 7 of chapter 7. I did not presume you would come. I did not presume you would come, is what he told Jesus. Well, first of all, a couple things. He, he knew Jesus would heal his servant, or he, he presumed that he would. But then he thought that Jesus wouldn't come. A couple of reasons why. One would be that, that, first of all, a Jew would not be um, permitted to go into a Gentile's home. The centurion would have been a Gentile, a Roman soldier. And so he didn't think he would enter his home, but Jesus does. I love how Jesus always breaks down cultural barriers. And he comes in, and then, and then he says this, very interesting. He, the reason why he knew that Jesus could bring healing is because of his position in the military. This is what he says. For I, too, am a man set under authority with a soldier under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and he says to another one, come, and he comes, and to uh, my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him. He said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. First of all, isn't it kind of cool that Jesus marvels at people? When's the last time you've marveled Jesus? Or Jesus marvels at you? But why did Jesus marvel at him? He says he's a man under authority. It's because he understood the authority that Jesus had. I love that song that Megan sang this morning, Jesus, Jesus. There's something in the name of Jesus. There's something that Jesus carries the authority. And yes, we don't see Jesus physically with us, but he's given us his Holy Spirit today. That we carry the same authority, the Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead was in Jesus is the same spirit that resides in us today. So, so the centurion says, I know the authority that I carry as, as a general or as a, a high-ranking official in the military. I say these things and they do it. I know, Jesus, the, the authority you have that if you say make, make somebody well, say that they want to get well, that they will be made well. The application for us is the authority that we carry. By the way, when, when we have the opportunity to pray for somebody for healing, it is not you who does the healing. It is the Spirit of God inside of you who does the healing. And that way, we, just, we, we fade in the background. I was in uh, the hospital last week praying for a man who was dying, and um, he was heavily sedated. He was not uh, conscious when I went in. Family asked if I'd come in, and I, laid, I said, can I lay hands on him? I laid hands on him, and I prayed, and I said, Jesus, bring life to this body. Bring life to this body. And I, and I walked out of there with faith saying, Jesus, I know you can do this. And then the following week, he passed away. Was my faith not strong enough? So many family members, when they, when they have loved ones that are struggling um, and they want healing, they, first of all, they go to the pastor as if like, we're like super faith people, but the reality is the same spirit that's in me is in you, right? You guys can do the same praying 
And when I say praying, all we're doing is we're trusting Jesus. We're aligning our hearts to Jesus to say, you know what? We believe that you can do this, but we also trust you with the outcome. This is really important to understand as we go through these things because I think what happens is, see, Jesus commends him for his faith. I tell you, even in Israel have I found such faith. Not in Israel. In other words, he's saying you have the most faith in Israel because he understood the authority that Jesus had. We need to approach our situations, people who have sickness, with faith to know that Jesus can do this, but also trust that we serve a great, good father that he is the giver and taker of life. So it shouldn't diminish our faith and it shouldn't diminish our, our asking God to do the miraculous when we see there's sick people and when we see that there's work to be done, but we need to, with faith, realize that Jesus is capable. Carry on to the next story in this in Luke. It says, uh, the title in my Bible says, Jesus raises a widow's son. So what happens here? He goes from Capernaum, which is where he was to, uh, to heal the servant, and he healed the servant, and the servant was healed. And then he finds a widow's son in the, um, by the way, Capernaum is the um, top part of the Sea of Galilee. So now he's now about 25 miles um, south of that in a, in a town called Name, and a woman who is now just not only widowed, but just lost her son. Her son is dead. They're carrying him out, uh, out of the city. Um, and he's got pallbearers. And Jesus comes and he lays hands on, probably wouldn't be a coffin. The, the word is interpreted coffin, but it's probably the, the, ba- the body would be wrapped up and probably in a basket. And he prays. And he says to this, he says, young man, these are Jesus' words, young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up, and this is verse 14. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God. Now, when I say fear, it's kind of like, what just happened? A dead man, we were getting ready to bury him, and Jesus lays hands on, quote, unquote, the coffin, and the man gets up and walks I've shared with you a couple times that I was in a funeral parlor and I've read scriptures like this and I was like, I truly believe that God could raise people from the dead and there was a service I was supposed to be at over in another room and I just kind of snuck off into another room where another dead body was laying, cask was open, ready for another service at some point. I'm like, Jesus, I know you can do this. Like, I want everybody to be marveled at you and the power that you could have. Now, I didn't want to do this in front of anybody because, like, what if it doesn't work, right? I just kind of, like, I feel like a fool. But I went over there. I laid hands on him. I was like, Jesus, let this man come alive. Never happened. Never happened, right? And, and it's like, and those times that it doesn't happen, you start to think, well, okay, should, God, are you really able have you been there, right? You've prayed for people and then it doesn't happen the way that you expect it to happen. You've prayed for a loved one and they still die. You've prayed for a sick person and they didn't get well. And you begin to say, okay, well, maybe maybe God doesn't really care. Maybe God doesn't really see or maybe God really doesn't do that anymore. The interesting thing is before he had healed this person, 
This is what it says in verse um, 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Can you say that word, compassion? All through Scripture, it, it says that before Jesus did a miracle, most times it says that Jesus had compassion on the person or on the situation. Why I love that is because it shows that God's heart is for people. This is not like rub a genie on the bottle and like I've got super faith and therefore because of my faith, I'm going to do all these miraculous things. It's like, no, Jesus, he wants us to have his heart, which is he sees the pain and he sees the sorrow of people. And with compassion is what motivates the desire to see a miracle take place. How much compassion do you have for people who are suffering? How much compassion do you have for people who are sick? And is your compassion stirring you, your love stirring you to want to pray for a miracle to take place? Please say yes to that. (laughs) Then the next account in Luke chapter 7 is... My title in in my Bible says, Messengers from John the Baptist. So you remember that John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. He actually saw, like a dove, it says, like a dove, descend upon Jesus, and he hears the words, this is my son who I'm well pleased, right? We, We read that already a few weeks back. The interesting thing, though, is he sends a couple servants and he asks Jesus this question. Are you really who you say you are? So what happened from that time in the Jordan River where, like, he obviously saw a supernatural occurrence. He heard words that, this is my son whom well pleased. And he has to send some servants out and says, Jesus, are you really who we're waiting for? And this is what Jesus says in response. It says, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft cloth? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing... And living in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is he whom it is written. Behold, I sent my messenger before your face who will prepare a way for you. That is actually from uh, the scripture of Malachi. Jesus is quoting an Old Testament scripture. That was a prophetic scripture that would indicate how Jesus would come. And this is what he's saying. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So now here's, Jesus likes to make some big statements. He said, in all of Israel, nobody has faith like this. Then he says to John, there is nobody born of a woman, some like John. And you know why Jesus says that though? Is because John chose to listen to his calling and went to a wilderness without king's clothes, without, um, you know, we know that he ate locusts. We know he didn't, 
drink wine. We know he didn't, you know, eat well. He was in the desert. All to point the way. His message was repentance, right? But all to point the way to who the Messiah was. Why he was so great is because he was willing to sacrifice to come in alignment to his purpose. And, and it was in that thing that, that brought, that, that Jesus saw how he was faithful to that calling. But this is the other interesting thing. So, so then he says, trying to set Jesus up a little bit. And so the tax collectors and the lawyers were kind of like, you know, understanding what is this Jesus? What is he saying? He's saying he is the one, but this is what he says. Verse 31, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute to you and did not dance. We sang the dirge, you did not weep. So interesting. Now he says this, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. Right? People were like, that's a crazy man out there, John the Baptist in the wilderness. But he was fulfilling the purposes of God. Then, Jesus, who's also fulfilling the purpose of God, saying this, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. John the Baptist, part of his calling was, he didn't drink, he didn't have bread. Jesus himself drank wine, had bread, hung out at the parties, both fulfilling their purposes. Jesus came to, to seek and save the lost, right? It's not, it's not the well that need a savior, a, a doctor, it's the sick. And, and so he went to find those people and he engaged with them. But the interesting thing, and I haven't really seen this before, this, this statement of like, we played the flute to you and you do not dance. We sang the dirge and you, you do not weep. So I always was thinking like, okay, the flute is, it would be for a, an instrument for celebration. The flute would be like, okay, we should be dancing. We've got a party going on the flute. And they didn't dance. So it was like they weren't perceiving what was going on. And then the other one was we sang the dirge, like so a funeral song and you did not weep. So not, not aware of what was going on. But interesting, the line before it says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We have to take this line to understand what follows next. Like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to each other and saying, we did this, you didn't do that. We did this, you didn't do that. And what he's saying is, is so easy to get judgmental in the church amongst the children of God that, because that, that's what they did with John the Baptist. Oh, he must have a demon in him. Like, look at what he's, he's living in the desert, not really with king's clothes. And then they say, oh, look at Jesus. He's hanging around. He's, you know, he's drinking wine and eating bread. He must be such and such, right? We, we make these judgments. And we miss that each person has a purpose in this bigger narrative that's taking place. We had an event at our church on Thursday um, where it was a pastor's gathering. Pastors from New Hampshire were gathering to, to talk about the, the subject that we, I've spoken on, on understanding um, 
The dangers, well, we didn't even talk about critical race theory. I've talked about the dangers of critical race theory. But really understanding how God created us with ethnicity and, and not looking at race and look, the dangers of looking at race and how that um, begins to divide and not bring us together as God's creation. Well, people got some wind of this and, and uh, the governor was going to be here doing from a special request from a friend of his and some people kind of misunderstood what the event was all about and created a little bit of a stir and and I, I got thinking about the scripture. You know, I get our politicians aren't always making the decisions that would come in alignment with our faith. The governor chose not to come because of the stirring that was going on, but I, I, I often wondered, like, did we miss it? Did we miss it? Because... Here is the children of God saying, do you see this over there? You can't be for this. Do you see this over here? You can't be doing this. And then you're kind of like back and forth and, and kind of fighting amongst ourselves. And then we realize, this, wait a second. What if God was doing something in the heart of the governor and he needed to be there? Do I agree with all of his political stances? No. But at the same token, I believe that we need to be not so focused on each other that we forget the purpose that each of us have been called to. And we need to rest in that purpose to say, you know what? If we would stop spending time pointing fingers at each other and saying, you're doing this and you're doing that, we have an enemy and it's not amongst ourselves. <laughs> we need to be unified in looking to Jesus who might have a different calling on each person's life and it might look completely different than the way the, the calling it is for me but, but let's not be let's go back to Luke chapter 6 the, the way that we judge is the way that we're going to be judged the way that we can't forgive somebody is the way that we're not going to be forgiven the Bible says that sums all this up treat others the way that you want to be treated And it says wisdom is justified by her children is really saying this. You can't just say that you're right without seeing the right fruit in your life. See, sometimes we get so justified, we get so stuck in a position and then we forget, actually, wait, wait a second. Are, are you focusing on a position or are you focusing on a person? Jesus always focused on a person, a woman at the well. He was never bothered by people's sin. He always invited them into a conversation and into a relationship. And then said, yes, go sin no more, for sure. He never says sin's okay. But he was never bothered by it. And I just wonder if, if we need to stop looking at each other. And I'm not saying in this church. I'm just saying, looking at each other in the Christian world, right? We, we get so polarized on certain things that we forget the real purpose of why we exist in the kingdom anyways. Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost and to restore everybody back to the way that, that God had made them be. This is, that's why his ministry of reconciliation was about restoring health, healing, 
deliverance. We said this already this morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the brokenness on earth should be our mission because anything that looks the way it should be in heaven should be the way it looks here on earth. When there's sickness, when there's pain, that is not what's going to be in heaven. So we should engage with that and say, what's my part, Jesus, to see this person being restored into their fullness, into their greatest. So here we go. And last, I'm going to close. Wow, where did the time go? I'm going to close with this last story. My Bible's called A Sinful Woman Forgiven. Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house, which I, again, I think is interesting. Pharisees, he had troubles with Pharisees because they were like saying one thing and, and not living another way. And, and they were living another way. And then this woman comes into the house that he's in a party of people lounging, eating dinner together in this Pharisee's house. And then a, a sinful woman, really a prostitute comes in and she starts putting perfume on his feet and she's crying and she's wiping his feet with uh, her hair. And Simon, who's the Pharisee, not one of his disciples, Simon, who's the Pharisee in this, in this account, starts saying, if you're really who you say you are, you would know who this woman is. Unclean. Couple things I have about this story that was just fascinating. How is it that a prostitute felt very comfortable coming into that person's house? I think she might have visited that house before. Then he's starting to judge Jesus, say, Who 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 are you to allow this woman to wipe her? And he goes, You know what? This is what Jesus says. When I came into your house, who who was washing my feet? Who is putting expensive perfume on, on my body? And he goes to the woman. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But before he says that, he, he sends, then says to Simon, he goes, let me tell you this. There's two people who owe a lot of money. One owes a whole lot more than the other. But a master goes and he forgives the debts of both of these guys. Who's going to love the master more, he says. Simon goes, well, the one who, gave, who, who was forgiven more was going to love more. And he goes, yeah, right. Look at this woman. Look at the way she's living. Basically saying, this is a very appropriate response. But I also then would say, you know what? We all can relate to this woman who has sinned. And it's too easy for us to start feeling elevated in our spirituality, elevated in our walk with the Lord, and start feeling like others might become a little bit untouchable. Others might have worse stuff in their life, and others might be like, don't you know? And I think Jesus really struggles with that, and he says, you know what? We are all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners. Saved by grace. And we need the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need his saving grace in our lives. But not only in our lives, but then we need to extend this to others. In healing, 
and restoration, of inviting them to know Christ and casting out demons. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, we have a class for you doing what Jesus did. Sign up for the next class when it's going around. You're right in the middle of it right now, right, Bob? Yes. So let me sum it up this way. If you don't believe Jesus can do the impossible, it'll be impossible to see a miracle. Point number one, kind of making a point on that. It's faith, right? If you don't believe Jesus can do the impossible, the impossible to see a miracle. I want each one of you to walk out of here today realizing that the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in you and he can work through you. Okay. When we argue, point number two, when we argue over who's right and who's wrong, we miss the purpose of God. Right? That was the whole thing of like, John the Baptist in the desert, Jesus did this, and we play the flu, you didn't dance, you did this, you didn't do that. Guys, guys, stop. When we argue over who is right or who is wrong, we miss the purposes of God. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And then lastly, with the story of the woman, the alabaster box and her tears. My question is, do our actions still, do our actions still reveal how much we have been forgiven by how much we love Jesus and love others? Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.